Welcome to the Dollar Wise Podcast. At HFM, one of the most significant values we provide our clients is leveraging our experience helping hundreds successfully navigate through life's transitions. On this podcast, our advisor team explores some of the questions we get every day from our clients. We share some insights on financial topics, and we interview some fantastic professionals from our vast network. Our hope is that you leave with some food for thought and some good ideas to consider. Thank you for joining us. On today's episode of the Dollar Wise Podcast, I'm Jason Gabrielli, and I have joining me our associate advisor, Tyler Reedman. Hey, Jason. Today, we are going to talk about a question that we get from clients, from people on the street. No, not people on the street. (laughs) Sometimes people stop in. But it's a question we get a lot. And basically, it's a pretty simple question, but I think it... It's something that weighs on people heavily. And really, it comes down to how much cash should I have? How much cash should I keep in my bank account versus do something else with? Yeah, I would say that's probably one of the top three questions we've been asked over the past year or so. And it seems like people are accumulating a lot of cash, whether it be via stimulus checks or just not spending as much because of the COVID restrictions. It seems like a lot of people have been accumulating cash. And for a lot of people, it's just sitting there. And they know they should do something with it if it meets their emergency fund needs or their cash comfort level. And we'll talk about what all that stuff means in a minute. But it's definitely been a hot topic that we've been hearing about. Yeah, I think it's, like you said, people have excess cash. It seems like not everyone, obviously, COVID has been incredibly difficult financially for a lot of people. And we definitely understand that. But for others, it has actually been oddly good for their balance sheet, where they're, they have more saved or paid down debt or you know paid more on their house or whatever. And they're in a position where they can actually better their financial picture. And so those are the people that, that we've been getting this question from, is I have this excess cash from maybe even they sold a business or they sold sold a house or something like that, or just because, like you said, they're not spending as much money. And it comes down to, what do I do with it? And you know, the first part of that question, I think, really is figuring out how much you should keep in cash and how much you should do something else with. You know, We'll get into that later in the episode. But that first question is, you know, how much should you keep in cash? And I think it's important to understand the purpose of keeping money in cash, because sometimes, especially with bank interest rates being like crazy low, it's important to understand what is the point of having cash around. And sometimes they call it an emergency reserve fund. Some people call it a rainy day fund. It's got a lot of names. But the reason you want to have cash or liquidity available is because things happen. You know, your life doesn't always go according to plan. Somebody loses a job or somebody gets sick and you need cash to pay your bills over a short period of time. And so even though those interest rates stink at the bank. I think what we say earlier, high yield savings accounts are like 0.5% right if now. If you're lucky, yeah. So. yeah. The regular banks, if you're a Wells Fargo or a TD Bank customer or something like that, you're, you're getting like- Virtually nothing. Yeah, it's nothing like 0.15% yeah. or something. So it may be unattractive to keep money in cash, but yep. the reality is you should have some, especially if you have bills. You know, especially if you have a mortgage or rent or a car payment or a student loan payment, yep. you got to be able to cover those things in the event that you don't have income for some reason or you have to take a break. And that's that's really the point of having cash as far as how much. Mm. That's one of those things that I feel like is really subjective. Yeah. I think we usually give a rule of thumb three to six months. You hear numbers that go from nine to 12 months. It really, and we say this so much, but it depends on your situation. You know, if you are just a single income household and you have kids, you might need a bigger emergency fund than someone that has two incomes and doesn't have kids. So it really just depends on how you feel about your job security 
how healthy you are. There's a ton of other things, right? If you have a car that you've been driving for a while, that car could break down. There's a couple thousand dollars. You have multiple pets. Pet surgeries aren't cheap. We see that all the time. So emergency fund isn't just I'm unemployed and now I have to pay my bills while I'm out. There are so many other random expenses as we see all the time. So that's the first step, having an emergency fund at the bare minimum. So identifying how much you spend a month regularly and then figuring out what you need three to six months of expenses and getting to that point probably at the bare minimum. Would you agree? Yeah, and you brought up a good point. I actually read a good blog probably a couple months ago. And it was talking about how an emergency fund is a subjective thing because those things you mentioned, like if you have an old car, it breaking down, technically that shouldn't necessarily be an emergency. Like you should expect your old car to break down Mm. and maybe doing a little planning ahead of time and understanding how much you should have for things that are coming up. Maybe it's not so much an emergency reactive thing, but it's something where you're proactively saying, I'm setting this money aside for when I need to deal with a car purchase or, you know, deal with a water heater or something like that, that, you know, isn't necessarily a surprise when it breaks because they break at regular intervals or something like that. Yeah. I was pulling some numbers earlier from the Federal Reserve just because I was doing that in my spare time. Yes. But basically, they put out- Tyler loves the Federal Reserve. <laughs> yeah, it's I just like- pulled data in my free time. They do <laughs> a report on the economic well-being of U.S. households every year. So they've been doing this for a number of years now. And one of the metrics I found interesting was they asked the question, would you be able to cover a $400 emergency expense using cash or a cash equivalent? So that means checking account, savings account. They even classify using a credit card if you believe you would pay it off at the next statement. So those are the the three main things, cash or a credit card. And back in 2013, I couldn't believe this when I heard it. Back in 2013, only 50% of those surveyed believe that they could pay the $400 emergency expense. But Thankfully, it's gradually climbed up. And as of 2020, that number went to 70% of people believe that's 30% of people in America that if they get hit with that expense right now, they don't believe they would pay it. They would put it on a credit card, have it accrue interest. So that's why we talk about having an emergency fund is so huge. And you know, a lot of people haven't been able to do it recently, but that's one of the reasons why we think it's an important concept and an important topic to hit. Yeah, absolutely. And and knowing that you know, how much you should have in cash or how much you should have in that emergency fund is a little bit fluid and is a little bit subjective to your personal situation, what your bills are, what your income situation is. Like we said, you can imagine that the account balances that the average American has are kind of all over the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look at 2019, so another survey that I I pulled up in my free time. So they, they ran a survey of bank account balances. And they took the mean account balance and the median. And the mean is just the average. So let's take up all the accounts, add them all together and divide by how many accounts there are. Well, that number was just over $41,000, the average account balance. That's pretty big. But when you look at the median account balance, which is the middle. So take, say we had 200 million bank accounts in the US, take the hundred millionth. So if you take that one right dead smack in the middle, which is probably a better indicator of the normal person, it's only about $5,000. So you can tell for the average, there's some people with a few hundred thousand dollars skewing the average, huge. And when you look at the median, you realize for most people, if they were out of work for six to 12 months, $5,000 in the bank account might not be enough to cover their expenses. Sure. So that's where we talk about emergency funds and really kind of 
dedicating yourself to hitting that goal. It's a big piece of financial security and you know making sure that you can accomplish your short-term goals without jeopardizing your long-term goals. I love that. That's a good way to put it. So really, that's the beginning part of how much cash should I have? You know, the short answer is enough to cover your emergencies and to cover those things that, you know, like you said, may not be emergencies, but you know are coming, like a car breakdown that's an older car or something like that. But in general, you want to have this cash comfort level. And that's a, a term that you hear a lot in the industry, but usually it has something to do with the emergency fund involved. And then it also just has sometimes a general number. You know, we talk to our clients all the time. We do the math and we say, all right, you know, six months of your fixed expenses, Mr. and Mrs. Client, is, you know, $35,000. Yeah. And they might say, I, I would never sleep at night if I had <laughs> yeah. $35,000. We see that a lot. Yeah, because they want to have more. Or we have people on the other side that say, $35,000, I'm not going to keep $35,000 in cash. not getting me anything. Yeah. So you see both sides of the extremes. Yeah. But it's a good guideline. And so your cash comfort level can go plus or minus that. But once you establish what that number is, what is the, I would feel comfortable sleeping at night if I had this much cash, above that is really where you should consider doing something else with yeah. your money that's going to potentially be able to get you a better return or in pursuit of your longer term goals than just leaving money in the bank. Yeah. I heard a good term for it. You talked about your cash comfort level and what you can sleep at night. I was reading an article and they call it the psychological safety net. I like that a lot. But exactly to that point, you identify your emergency fund, you identify how much you're comfortable keeping over that. And then you know, if you're really accruing cash on top of that, a lot of excess cash, that's where you probably want to figure out how you want to deploy that cash to earn a better rate of return. And there's many ways you could do it, and we'll talk about those in a second. But one thing that's important to mention is we said in your bank accounts and your high-yield savings accounts, you're not earning any interest in there right now. And thankfully, I don't want to say thankfully, but thankfully, inflation has been virtually non-existent the past decade or so, or even longer than that. So with inflation being so low, you're not really losing a lot of value with your money in the bank. But eventually, if it ever ramped up to levels we've seen in decades before, having money just sitting in the bank, not earning much, you could be losing a lot of value over time. Well, that's what I was going to mention, that idea of opportunity cost. Yeah. And people, they might not use that term, but that's what they're thinking when they're thinking, I'm getting nothing on this cash in the bank and I could be getting more, you know, investing that money somehow or putting it to work somehow else is opportunity costs. You're worried about losing out on what that money could be doing. Yeah. So we know once we set our cash comfort level or our psychological psychological safety net. Psychological safety yeah. net. You know, that's our that's how much cash we should have. And then if you add on top of that anything that you know you're going to spend money on in the near future, like if you're somebody who's you know into buying real estate or into buying you know certain things for projects for your business or something like that, then you got to stack that on top. So you want to make sure you keep that money aside. Now, anything above and beyond that, that's when we talk about maybe we should be doing something with that money. Maybe we should be investing that money to again make a little more or give it potential to make more, you know, in the long run than that bank account. And so. You know, one of the things that we look at when we consider a cash amount, sometimes taking a chunk, and you know, once you figure out that cash comfort level yep. and you know, you've accounted for all that stuff, and now that overage is how much you want to invest, mm -hmm. people get a little shell shocked by yeah. the idea of just plopping that much money into the market, especially with it at all time highs. Now, I say that. I hate when news outlets <laughs> say that because the market always reaches all time highs. So you can't let that color too much. But I understand, you know, psychologically, investing is a lot of psychological. Yeah. And just plopping that money in and seeing that it could fall 15% in, you know, the next week, long term, that doesn't matter. 
But in the short term, it can mess you up. Yeah. I saw a post, I think it was a couple of days ago, and it was one of those guys who just wrote 2013, colon, I don't want to invest at all-time highs. 2014, I don't want to invest at all-time highs. Same thing for 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. And it's like, you should have started investing yesterday. Because exactly. there's a lot of all-time highs, and we don't know when they're going to hit. So what we found, and what, and what Jason was alluding to, is there's a little bit of an emotional toll for some people to just throw a big lump sum of their excess cash in the markets because what if it goes down? And you know, if you have short-term goals for that money, you probably shouldn't be investing it anyway. But if this is money you're like, I want to use this 10, 15, 20 years from now for whatever, then a really good strategy we found is something we call recurring contributions, which is where essentially, let's say rather than investing $20,000 in one lump sum, you just do $1,000 a month over and over. And you know, the market might go up or down along the way, but if the market were to just drop 20% after you put that $20,000 in there, you'd be feeling like crap, you know, like I, sh- I shouldn't have done it then, I should have waited a month, but we know that nobody knows when that's going to well, happen. Right. And it's it's important to consider that, you know, it is perfectly fine on a long-term goal or a long-term objective, like you said, if you're going to keep this money invested 10, 15, 20 years, yeah. to put that money in all at once. You know, we don't want to, you don't want to sway people against that because it is fine over yeah. the long term. But to your point, if it's stopping you from doing anything, mm-hmm. the fear of it going down in the short term, then you know this recurring contribution idea that we've used for some clients is a great way to. It's better than doing nothing. Yeah, you know, it's better than saying I'm just going to keep it in cash because I'm afraid it's going to go down. I think we can look at it as a way to combat paralysis by analysis. Yes, oh, without a doubt, that's the strategy there. <laughs> without a doubt, without a doubt. And so, as far as actually what you invest in when it comes to something outside of maybe your 401k might be the only thing you've ever invested in, you know, your retirement plan at work or or something like that. There is options outside of a retirement plan at work, and you know, it's pretty normal. A lot of times, depending on what you choose, it could be a joint account with you and your spouse, it could be an individual account. The taxation is different than a retirement plan at work. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a pay-as-you-go thing. Works a lot like a bank account, actually. You get a 1099 every year for any money that it made during the year from like dividends or interest or something yeah. like that. But overall, you can invest it just like you invested in your 401k. It can be super diversified. It can be all along the risk spectrum. You know, It's not like you have to just pick all stocks or go all something conservative. Yeah. You can have a portfolio just like you have in your 401k that is wherever you feel most comfortable on the risk spectrum and invest it that way. Yeah, that's a great point. We talk about that all the time. We call it asset allocation, right? How much is in stocks? How much is in bonds? How much is in other asset classes? And like Jason mentioned, based on your goal and the time horizon, how far out it is, we would want to work to find your risk tolerance and then put you in the proper allocation. Smooth out the investment experience, earn hopefully a positive return and go that route. Absolutely. So just to bring it full circle, you know, when it comes to figuring out how much cash should you have, really, you know, the answer is a little bit ambiguous, it's yeah. a little bit subjective, but basically you want to set your cash comfort level, which is, you know, for emergencies, for things that you know that might be coming that'll break, like your water heater, your car breakdown mm-hmm. that's older, whatever. So you set that cash comfort level. And then from there, you know, you want to add on any bits of expenses that you know are coming down the pike if you're going to be somebody who's going to invest in another house or something like that. And, you know, and, and once you've accounted for all that, Anything beyond that, that's what you want to look to potentially invest. And there's the recurring contribution idea if you're not comfortable just putting it in, or you could certainly put it in in a lump sum because if it's a longer term time horizon, it's probably not going to make much of a difference, even though it's a little scary to watch in the short term. I want to thank everyone for joining us on this episode of the Dollar Wise Podcast. We'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Dollar Wise Podcast. 
At HFM, our mission is to educate and empower our clients to make wise financial decisions. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at hfmadvisors.com. The Dollar Wise Podcast is presented by HFM Investment Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor firm. Please note that registration does not imply any level of skill or training. All investing involves risk, including potential loss of principal. There is no guarantee that any strategy will be successful. The content of this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment or financial advice. Everyone's situation is unique, so we recommend you discuss any potential strategies with your own professional advisors before implementing them for yourself. 